Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 108 of the Double Density Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. Double Density, your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. Now, first things first, Angelo, you want to discuss an occurring, uh, an occurrence, a disturbance <laughs> that happened to you uh, briefly right before we started recording tonight's episode. The floor is yours, my friend. Please don't scare the audience. Well, you're getting married in a few weeks. Uh, but, well, a little bit more than a month, okay? Let's it's true. That. It's true. And I'm booking a hotel room because you decided to get married far away from where I live. Uh, it's a much more beautiful spot than you could ever imagine, but continue. Well, yes, I was looking at your uh, venue's website, and it is quite beautiful, just to make sure how far I was. And I'm not too far. We booked a hotel, nice place. Just, uh, it's it's the same postal code, but it's such a, like, rural area that it, it's meaningless because it's still, like, seven kilometers away, which is about, what, like, four miles. And ho- booked the hotel, everything's good, and... Not five minutes after I booked the hotel on my computer under my name, my wife is on Facebook on her phone, and she says, look what came up on my phone, and it was a picture of our hotel, saying, her friend likes hotels.com, and this is a hotel you should book. Shoot. Had she been looking up Wakefield at all? Nothing. She had not been looking up at all. So there's two explanations for this. It's not that we were being listened upon by uh, whatever devices. We have no Facebook listening devices in our home. It's probably because either I used her credit card to book the room. Again, though, that's not connected to her Facebook. I think there's a much more logical explanation. And that's because we're on the same, uh, we're on the same network. Yeah, that's what I, that, that is what I'm believing, actually. Yeah, we're, we're on the same network. So it saw the IP address and said, hey, this IP address is looking for hotels. Let's put that hotel on this phone, too, because it's on the same IP address. So there's... Not that it's not nefarious, it's just, it's not that they're listening to you, they're just looking at your internet traffic, which I guess is kind of creepy too. Geotargeting works, my friend. It really does, except we already booked that hotel, so who cares? <laughs> uh, similarly, though, I was reading a story, so someone, uh, I can never remember their username, uh, but on Twitter, uh, they are, uh, they write a law blog, and they had followed the most recent uh, Monsanto case about this couple suing Monsanto for giving them cancer through Roundup, and uh, one of the motions in court was from the the people suing Monsanto, uh, claiming that Monsanto was, like, geofencing all of the, um, the IP addresses in the area, pushing, like, pro-Monsanto ads around. So it's they're they're kind of forcing Monsanto good vibes on the people that live in a certain area. Yeah, exactly. Well, obviously they couldn't prove that Monsanto was doing this, but there was suspicion based on uh, user behaviors and the way the phones were working and the ads that were being served that perhaps that was the case. Uh, which is something I didn't actually consider up until reading that today. It was kind of fascinating. Well, I think it's great because I am a GMO shill, so I am totally in agreement with this. Roundup for life, my friend. Uh, so some quick cleanup from last week. We talked about Amazon Marketplace, uh, sellers on there, uh, Black Magic, which got us thinking, like, what was your first Amazon purchase ever? Well, mine was way before we even had Amazon.ca. So I tried to look up my first purchase. I can't see it because I ordered it from Amazon.com. And I'm not quite sure if my account actually still works. I probably still, I probably had a Hotmail account back then. And uh, it was two books on card magic. <laughs> very pertinent to her discussion later this episode interesting mine was a box set entitled chucky the killer dvd collection with child's play 2 3 bride of chucky and seed of chucky uh of course uh the first child's play not on there because uh two through seed were made by universal and the first one was made by mgm because of course i know these things aren't mgm and universal the same thing 
Now they are. Uh, this was 2006, though. And then I checked my second order ever, which is very on brand for me. It was a DVD of Dario Argento's Suspiria put out by Anchor Bay. And then also Unsolved Mysteries UFOs box set. Yeah, it's all very, very bright. Yeah. I, was, I had to laugh really hard at the idea that, like, even, you know, uh, 12, 13 years ago, this is what I was up to with my days and nights. I'm not shocked that your first purchase was a horror movie of some kind. No, I, uh, I've i spent way too much money on, on horror and, and genre movies. Uh, I even almost bought some this weekend while I was away. Uh, but uh, cooler heads prevailed. I kept my money in my wallet. I guess this is growing up, sadly. Yeah, my first purchases on Amazon.ca were CDs. Very relevant on August 21st, 2004. The Holy Blood and the Holy Grail. Speaking about Amazon, though, our next story involves fear-based social media, right? And Amazon's uh, Ring, Amazon Rings and Neighbors app, uh, which joins the lakes of Nextdoor and Citizen, is starting or continuing this newish trend of being able to self-report weird things in your neighborhood, right? Well, in a roundabout way, it self-reports racism. Yes. So, I mean, I kind of wanted to get that towards the end of the segment. But yeah, the notion is that uh, you open up your app and you report suspicious activity, right? So the weird thing uh, and something that this Vox article points out is the perception of crime versus the actual data of like violent crimes per thousand people is kind of uh, very intense, right? So the idea uh, is that in between 87 and 68% of people say there's more crime than there was in the US a year ago versus the second graph, which is the number of violent crimes per thousand people ages 12 and older. It goes from 79.893 to 20.6 in 2017. That is a drastic drop in violent crime. That's actually pretty amazing. I I just wonder what's, what's changed. Uh, social media and getting angry at video games. Uh, okay. We live in Canada. It's a wonderful utopia. Well, <laughs> no, it's not. I wish it were so, my friend, but let's not even get into Because some people have a particular idea of what utopia is about, and it doesn't involve certain segments of the society. So I don't believe that to be true. No, it's not. Sadly enough. But yeah, so the idea is that uh, there are uh, there's this perception that there are almost more crimes happening, but clearly the uh, statistics and data show that that is not the case. But um, here comes, you know, the idea of like human intervention, right? And uh, we talked about this when we talked about um, all the kinds of different tracking software that are used um, that law enforcement is slowly beta testing on the public and machine learning and things like that, and how machine learning is racist because it learns from human biases. And the same thing is, is here, right? So the idea is that the apps create these biases based on um, self-reported data um, and not necessarily on empirical data. Exactly. It's basically leaving crime fighting up to busybodies who are looking around their neighborhoods to see what's what and not really knowing what's actually happening. I spend most of my time, you know, uh, looking at the ground for, uh, you know, $20 and $50 bills. I don't know about you. That's all I do. I, I walked right into the street today trying to do that. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, uh, we're kind of in the minority when it comes to this because a lot of people do feel that like um, there is an intensity to violent crime happening. And um, through these apps, um, because there, once again, like there's no barrier for entry, right? So you can do whatever you want. You can report whatever you want. And um, it sort of uh, stands as its own uh, piece of data. I will say that when I'm at home, either working from home or have a day off or something, and I'm looking around things going on in the neighborhood during the week, I do notice more weird things going on, people I don't normally see or whatever. Like just last week, I saw a very bizarre looking van. It was like rusty and, you know, like those uh, those vans that you don't want children to get lured into. Yeah, like you're talking about like one of the side door opening vans. Yeah, I saw one roaming around my neighborhood and just slowly stopping in front of houses. And I was wondering what was going on, but it was just people delivering those annoying flyers. 
you realize that like uh, they're uh, as af- are as afraid of you as you are of them, though, right? Because the thing is, like, they see this weird guy they never see either. Yes, but they're bringing things to my house. <laughs> they're bringing you deals. They're like deer. They're just as afraid as a, of a no, not deer. <laughs> <laughs> they're like sharks. They're as afraid of us as we are of them. Can you do me a favor the next time some strange person comes in like around your house, like in your house's periphery? Can you just run out and scream? I do get a lot of people ringing doorbells in my neighborhood, more so than I remember when I lived with my parents. Do you get a lot of pamphlets? We get pamphlets. We get um, certain religious groups coming to our home to uh, try to recruit us. We have people uh, selling coupons, all kinds of stuff. And luckily, I have children, so I usually blame the kids as giving me an emergency where I have to run and cannot talk to them. What if you said something super embarrassing, like, I need to poop myself? <laughs> I, don't I feel like that is because I, I feel like that is way more like we're never coming back to this house versus like oh my kids are here because if they hear kids they think great for like future supporters yeah and then my wife was super nice and very friendly to people uh was very friendly with a certain religious group that can kept that kept coming back over and over again leaving us their flyer in the door and uh, uh, is it is it a two-worded type of religion yeah that's really looking forward to the end of the world Are they sort of uh, uh, seeing things? Yeah, they witness things. So funny story, because I was going to tell a similar story where uh, my friend's mom would let those types of people in uh, almost for like a full year. And like she wasn't ready to commit at all. She just liked the the camaraderie that was like uh, created through this. I don't know if this is an apocryphal tale, but my dad told me that uh, my grandfather would invite people in whenever they'd come over. And he would talk their ear off so much that they would leave. It's a good move. Uh, yeah. Something that I've done whenever those uh, types of people show up is I used to live um, uh, on the third story of a, of a triplex. And so half of my stairs from the first to the second were outdoors. And then from the second to the third was like behind my front door. So I would always keep pamphlets on the stairs. And then like I would invite them to do really weird things with me. And they always turn me down. Uh, we do have to explain that here in Montreal, there's a certain weird thing where there's a lot of outdoor staircases that you don't normally see anywhere else yeah mine were spiral though but yeah so basically yes the, the, there's a, it's the spiral staircases you see like it's it's something very montreal from what i understand if you want you can go ahead we may drop something in the show notes all about this we may not we'll see but uh, yeah so anyways needless to say uh people come to your door interesting not necessarily scary you just need to learn that things happen folks you don't need to report suspicious activity at the uh, the drop of a proverbial hat or a literal hat I, in this case yeah i just keep a bat next to my door Good, good. Uh, I'm glad that your kids are um, learning this. Hello? I'm a computer. I'm a computer guy. Everything made out of buttons and wires. Double density. Let us move on to a topic that is very near and dear to your heart. That is something that you talk about constantly uh, in different kinds of ways. And that, of course, my friend, is uh, the notion of hard drive, the notion of saving data, the notion of buying more space to save data. SSD prices are falling. It's great. Uh, (laughs) I actually had this conversation. Somebody came by my desk today to check an issue I was having with some sort of file I was uploading, and it wasn't working. And he came by and we discussed uh, my really garbage computer I have at work. And I said, you know, they're going to get us new computers. They're going to be just as slow because they're not going to get them with SSDs. And he said, you have to ask them to get SSDs because you're right. Whatever computer you get is going to be just as slow as this one. And now prices are going down. Maybe I should send this article to the higher ups at work. I was literally about to say, like, I'm surprised you haven't done that. I think I will tomorrow. We're looking at 10 cents a gig here, friend, for an SSD. 
it's actually pretty good. Uh, the I I have a couple of SSDs attached to my Mac that are external, and basically I they're always connected. So I have the 256 on board with an extra 500 and an extra terabyte. So I have plenty of space on there. And the terabyte one cost me almost as much as the the 500 gigabyte one because I got it about a year later and the price had gone down already. And it was on sale. It's trending downwards still again and again from... There's a chart here in this uh, Trendforce uh, webpage all about how it's sort of kind of like, you know, maybe like 145-ish for a 512. And now we're kind of almost down to, you know... Uh, 60, like 70 bucks. 60, yeah, exactly. And uh, similarly, uh, RAM prices have dropped, which we discussed a few weeks ago because that's why I bought more RAM. Uh, if ever you want to build a computer, Angelo is your man, not to build the actual computer, but to discuss the computer's various parts to death. Yeah, and then I can point you to the Apple website and tell you which computer to pick. Right now, not many of them. This is what you need to do when someone comes to your door. <laughs> Just talk to them about SSDs and RAM prices. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, you know, how often are you backing up your data, right? Well, look, I understand this word of God thing, but have you have I told you the word of jobs? <laughs> uh, that would be here's my ta- here's my tablet. Pretty on brand for you, my friend. <laughs> uh, last thing we want to cover in the tech section this week is an article uh, from Vice about how, and I'm just going to read the title because it makes me laugh. Google thought my phone number was Facebook's, and it ruined my life. This whole article made me really laugh, and I love the uh, the picture they have of the statue. Uh, with his head in his hand it's it's kind of sad that people would call this random number they found and just start start just start complaining they they wouldn't even wait for the person to say anything he would just they would just throw complaints at him and are you really surprised funny. though no i'm not i mean i answer the phone uh, at work for certain things and although i do deal with people that know exactly who they're calling and they're I'd say 95 to like almost 100% of my calls are very friendly and totally fine, mostly because I'm awesome. But this... Are you sure about that? Like if I was to do like um, a survey of everyone you've contacted over the last year... Oh, probably not. Yeah, you're right. You like to see who am I? Who am I kidding? Uh, but you're a human being, and I value your uh, your your being. I value your interests. I enjoy you as a co-host. So at least like take refuge in that. The, the questions are great though. Like I forgot my password. I'm trying to get hold of a Facebook. It's great. Like so, uh, yeah, so what had happened is that Google basically scraped um, this writer's previous motherboard article where he put his phone number at the end in order to have people contact him. And Google decided, hey, that must be Facebook's phone number. So it dropped it right in. So when you were doing a search for a Facebook phone number, it was one of the uh, the top results. He's learned his lesson, never put his phone number at the end of a motherboard article. That's correct. You put, uh, what, your, your, like your, your PGP key? Or just your email address? Yeah, webmaster at facebook.com is not a valid email address to put at the end of this article, by the way. But going back to some of the complaints, like right up at the top of the article, you get a good taste of things. Uh, I'm trying to get a hold of Facebook, a man says. They are taking my American rights away from me. Define American rights. Well, they're anti-free speech, anti-American, they're pro-Muslim. This goes back to the whole racism thing from the previous article. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We're kind of a you know you know running a thread through all these articles here because this is also an interesting way in which uh, you know uh, machine learning or you know uh, machine scraping I guess uh, would be a more apt way of saying it uh, definitely screws up your life sometimes. What happens when you Google yourself? What do you mean? Like so, let's say go go into an incognito mode and yep. look yourself up. Like if you look up Brian Hasty, do you get the guy in England or uh, anything to do with you? 
Please hold. <sighs> the top guy is Brian Hasty Real Estate from Australia. Let's see what mine is. You broke my. Uh, oh, you got a Facebook profile, so definitely not me. But top images for Angelo Fiorentino is a big old picture of me. And then a, so, a guy with an Italian flag holding a soccer cup of some kind. The seventh um, result is mine. It's my LinkedIn profile. Okay, so the, th- the first six are real estate. But then uh, out of the images, I'm the top image. Yeah, see? So I'm the top image on mine. And the third result is my Twitter account. I'm the top image. And then on the third row, there's a picture of me and Kelsey Grammer that I took. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then... Um, is he falling off the stage? No, no, no. This was recently when I was in Boston. I went to Cheers and I took a picture with him. Uh, there's a picture of me pointing. Oh, at not the there's... actual Kelsey Grammer. No, no, no. It's a standee. A uh, picture of Rob. A uh, picture of my friend Bruno with his cowboy hat on. Yeah. A uh, oh, picture of my fiance. Oh, double density. That would make sense. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's and funny. Then, our uh, podcast is not on the first uh, page of hits, though. We need to work on that. We need to upper SEO, my friend. Uh, let's get aggressive in 2019. Well, if you if you do Google Double Density Podcast, it is the first thing. Well, I would hope so. What if Google just Double Density, though, right? Let's, that's, it's that's not. It's like some sort of like, um, it's like a picture of a tumor or something. Oh, I see. And the uh, the first hit, if you Google Double Density, is, is a, a Toronto Star article called, Is Density a Dirty Word in a Growing Toronto? We yeah. need to up our SEO and destroy the Toronto Star. We're like fifth on that list. Okay, let's wreck them. Okay. All right, everybody, just start searching for us yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Double density, uh, crowdfunding, unite. Please do. Yeah, Google us on every single one of your devices, please. Yes, yeah, please. Just keep going. By the way, Angelo, 2019 is, a, is quite the year for us. Happy New Year, my friend. Really? <laughs> okay. But yeah, anyways, this article is really interesting because like, it shows kind of like the weird... It, you've seen the Terry Gillum movie, like uh, Brazil, right? I actually have not. Oh, okay, anyways. Uh, the idea of like... It's about soccer, isn't it? Yes, football, as we call it. Football. Uh, the idea of like bureaucracy gone mad is kind of like very much exemplified here, and I love it and also hate it a little bit. Um, but it's kind of funny to watch this uh, this writer sort of like have to talk to Google about getting your own phone number removed. Were they helpful about that? They seem to be. Google seems like a, a decent company. I mean, they're not evil, right? It says so in their motto. I, I think they got rid of that, though. <laughs> they did get rid of that. Uh, yeah. Alphabet does not use that anymore. Yeah, so in the article, they say that when Google was contacted, it took a couple hours, but the uh, the phone number was taken down. They've been Alphabet for years, and I still can't call them Alphabet. I think that's so stupid. Why? It's a great name for a company. What's uh, Alphabet, Apple? What's, what's wrong with these? Speaking of Google, did you see that new Google Home Nest Hub? I have not. Uh, cool. I've largely I've been out of the internet. Why don't you run me down on this? It's uh, basically uh, Google Home, because now so Google kind of took in Nest, right? So Nest was always part of Google, but now it's not going to be just be Nest. It's going to be Google Nest, and right. one of their first products with the Nest name is going to be the what was previously the Google Home Hub. Now it's the Google Nest Hub, and it's a Google Home with a screen attached to it. So you can look at YouTube. There is a bigger one with a camera on it. So you can do, uh, I think it's Allo or Duo. We discussed this last time. I can't remember what it's called. I think it's Duo where you can actually do a a FaceTime-like call, but not using FaceTime because that's Apple. That's proprietary. So what you're seeing is we're one step closer to full Skynet here. We're like at like a three-quarters Skynet. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, Have you had this talk with your children about Skynet? I don't want to frighten them just yet. We're going to watch uh, Terminator next uh, family movie night. 
so for some reason, my fiance had watched Terminator 2 with, with uh, members of her family. And then, do you remember Terminator 2 at all? Yeah, I, and I know Dyson died because he was holding that thing in his hand and he was already half dead. Right. Um, <laughs> so apparently my fiance's mother had, had told her at the end of the movie that Dyson had actually survived. She saw him run out of the building <laughs> in one of the seats. Yeah, meanwhile, like half his body was like exploded. I like that actor, Joe Martin. He's awesome. He is awesome. Isn't he the dad on Scandal? He is. He's great in that. He every time he's on screen, he's chewing up scenery like crazy, and it's true. always monologuing. But his monologue. He, he wasn't the reason. He wasn't the reason why I stopped watching. I stopped watching for a mere number of reasons, but he was definitely on the like lower rung of reasons as to why you should not watch Scandal. I finished watching the whole thing, Brian. Why would you do that to yourself? It's good. After season four, it drops off drastically. It's no uh, Michael Bay Transformers. Good. It's good. <laughs> wow. I know you're just trying to offend me here, so I'll let this slip and fall. And we're going to head straight to the uh, paranormal section before I knock you out. What could space be? What could it be made of? What the heck is all those lights out there? Is this just a black curtain with holes in it? I don't know. I'm trying to find out. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we were switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So first things first, a very quick note. Unfortunately, the uh, passing, uh, we couldn't, we'd be remiss not to mention the passing of Stan Freeman, a uh, famed UFO researcher, uh, passed away at age 84. Yeah, he was one of the good ones, really. Uh, he was always willing to debate skeptics uh, and always had good conversations with people. You know, he never really was one to force an opinion down your throat. He did have his... His uh, things that he really believed in that didn't necessarily jive with what we think is actually true. Are we but, talking about the MJ-12 documents here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he did help popularize Roswell for better or for worse, right? He popularized the term Cosmic Watergate? <laughs> yes, he did. I feel like we've discussed this before about how he would be the one like that we'd go hang out with. Oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely not Bruce McAbee. No, no, definitely not. But... um. You know, all that to say, Stan, thank you for, for everything, right? Yeah, for sure. So let us move on to uh, something that uh, usually, like, I'm the explainer in the paranormal section. But uh, this week, uh, the role has been given to you because it is something that you want to... This this topic is something that you like to talk about. Uh, it is very near and dear to your heart. It is something that you've lived with, grown up with, and now are teaching to others. And um, it's a very interesting topic to me because I, I read the literature you have given me, pamphlets and all, and <laughs> I'm ready to sort of, you know, uh, d- dive into this. So we're going to be talking about uh, magicians, illusionists, skepticism, and more. And I feel like it's going to tie into a lot of the things we talked about in the paranormal at the end. So I've always liked magic, uh, like I mentioned before, uh, in the late 90s or whenever I ordered those. The two first things I ordered from Amazon were uh, were Expert Card Technique and the Encyclopedia of Card Tricks. And I've never been good at sleight of hand and stuff like that. I've always enjoyed trying to do it. And I was practicing a lot like 20 years ago, and then I kind of stopped. And recently... Um, I did we mention it here or maybe on Rob's podcast where we talked where I said my daughter and I've been watching Penn and Teller fool us and she's always been getting into yeah that was on uh, the Patreon exclusive our, our strange guys episode which she should go listen to yeah really good episode and she's been interested in magic actually even before that and now we she's really gotten into wanting to do tricks and stuff so I've kind of repicked up. Uh, playing with cards and trying to learn slights in my hands 
um, do not want to do the things they're supposed to do. It's frustrating for me because I, I do play musical instruments and I feel like my hands know what they're doing on those things. But then when I pick up a deck of cards, they just uh, decide not to work. Why do you think that is? Well, it's a totally different uh, movement and stuff. But luckily, my hands are strong. So like I'm picking things up uh, quickly and some of my muscle memory for... The... <laughs> no, I'm just laughing because I picture you, instead of just picking things up, like you tearing a deck of cards apart like through brute strength instead. You're like, these are what my hands are good for now. No, I don't do that with cards. I practice on phone books. <laughs> and anyway, Sorry, continue. And... Uh, yeah, so I've been learning things, but I'm not, I, like, you make it sound like I'm teaching my daughter. No, we're, like, more learning together than anything else. And I found a lot of really good YouTube magicians that aren't there to, like, expose magic. They're kind of there to, like, teach you in certain ways, but are aren't really flashy about it. Really good, uh, good stuff on there. Not cheesy at all, that's for sure. Because people have this weird uh, connotation with uh, magic in that it's all super cheesy. And it kind of used to be, I guess, if you see those uh, old... Uh, videos of david copperfield who's an amazing amazing magician but he it was very 80s back then because it was the 80s i was hoping to say like amazing magician horrible parents like you had some insight into his no no he's he seems apparently he's a really nice person too so i believe it yeah and then you know there's also like the chris angels of the world that are a little over the top we're gonna talk about some of this stuff later right yeah what i really want to bring it up and why is this paranormal is that i think magic is real <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh this has been episode 108 of the double density podcast yeah no it's it's more on the side of skepticisms magicians almost always are skeptics would you agree with that yes i would absolutely agree with that and it's also something that's really interesting because it's something i hadn't really considered like across the playing field i can understand how they'd be skeptic about you know um, um certain isolated incidents or certain ways in which um things are portrayed but the idea of like skepticism as it relates to a lot of the paranormal stuff bleeding into that is not something that i wholly considered before we really started talking even though we've talked about james randy before but i hadn't really given it like a global overview of what i see or believe in these things right if you go to skeptic conventions or whatever not that i go to them because i don't like conventions of any kind there are conventions like Dragon Con and the Amazing Meeting, which is um, the James Radley Foundation. So there's 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 a bunch out there, and a lot of these skeptics are people that practice magic. We actually mentioned one a few weeks ago, and that's Richard Wiseman when we were talking about the uh, premonitions and dreams. There was an article we kind of looked up, and yes, in doing that, I. I I guess I knew this in the back of my mind, but I realized, oh yeah, Richard Wiseman, totally into magic. And I had seen a documentary about magicians and he was in it too. So there's like this whole thing of science and magic. And there was an article I was reading where a lot of times scientists that buy into paranormal things, like for example, psychic phenomenon, are easily fooled because they're fooled by magic tricks. And one of the articles said the only scientist that not isn't fooled is usually Richard Wiseman because he's both a scientist and a magician. Right. So what happens with scientists is that they're looking for empirical data. They're looking for things that are happening in front of them. And if somebody's doing sleight of hand or a magic trick and is really good at it, it's imperceivable. The, the I mean, so the layperson to Johnny Cubell, like the uh, notion of magic and the notion of the paranormal are one and the same, right? But to someone who understands the step-by-step, the machinations of how a, an illusion is created, it, it's clear, uh, you know, what is real and what isn't. Yeah, exactly. And that's, 
this is what magicians take offense to when they get very up at arms with certain things in the paranormal. And it's not everything paranormal that magicians really latch on to. So you won't see um, a magician like actively go after people that are looking for Bigfoot or actively go after people that think there are aliens in in Roswell or whatever. They'll They'll still be skeptical of it, but they won't actively go after these people because they're not doing any harm. Where the harm comes in is, we've mentioned this before, with psychics and clairvoyance and people that think... Cold reading. Yeah, people that think that they can actually play on the emotions of those that have lost loved ones and take their money. Or yeah, it, on, I, I, that's that's the thing too, right? And uh, I think this is also like uh, when you start talking about David Pleadis and missing four one one, the notion that as soon as you step over this um, untold mortal line, I guess would be the way of calling it, then and you start touching people's lives in ways that are um, of a definitive nature, then it becomes a problem. You know, a card trick, something like that, even a, a larger scale illusion, not necessarily an issue. But as soon as you start playing with people's lives, then it becomes um, of uh, a paramount, a paramount and important kind of like distinction between. Well, because the same principles you use to do a card trick that nobody's going to think you're actually a wizard to do, you can do with other objects and other things when in the context of a seance. And so we'll start with like our first example, uh, sort of famous magician. You ever hear of Houdini? <laughs> Who? <laughs> yeah. So he, and, and I don't know if this is well known or not. In my head, it's well known, but he was like one of the first foremost skeptics going after clairvoyance because after his um, mother passed away, he was very interested in trying to figure out if he could communicate with her. And he discovered that all of it was garbage. There was no way to actually communicate with the dead. And everything that was being done was actually things that he knew how to do in his practice as a magician. One of his friends at the time, and also sort this of kind of this sort of reminds me of Stephen Hawking's, uh, you know, uh, uh, invitation to time travelers in a, in a certain kind of way, like kind of an analogous, not necessarily one to one, but sort of the same kind of concept. Yeah, with with Stephen Hawking, there's nothing actually happening because nobody can time travel with Houdini. People would constantly go up to him and try and fool him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so. I do feel like both are sort of uh, the same. Anyways, uh, so continue uh, telling us the tale of Houdini and his idea of how to uh, contact us after the afterlife. Well, uh, first I wanted to mention Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who was friends with Houdini. And the funny thing about him is that he wrote Sherlock Holmes, uh, and Sherlock Holmes was more like Houdini, right? He was very skeptical, analytical, logical. But Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was the opposite. He wanted to be able to communicate with the dead. He totally believed they could. And there's an interesting anecdote in one of the articles, uh, I think it was from Scientific American, where he brought Sir Arthur Conan Doyle to his home. He showed him this elaborate trick that completely fooled Conan Doyle. And Houdini told him, this is all done with mundane things that I've done through magic and through my practice as a magician. And he didn't, he didn't want to believe him. He wanted to believe that Houdini actually had magical powers and he was pretending not to. I wish I had a little friendship like that with someone. Yeah, it'd be kind of fun. Uh, so look, Houdini did tell his wife that if he passed away, he would definitely... Not commu- if, when. Well, when, but if he passed away before her. Yeah, if he passed away... Oh, right. Good point. Yes. So if he passed away before her, he would communicate with her after his death. And he never did. There was a hoax, apparently by a clairvoyant named Arthur Ford, where he claimed to have the code that only Houdini and his wife, Beth, knew. 
The problem with that, it was actually published in the Brooklyn Eagle the year before. So uh, he passed away in 1926, and then this article was uh, published in 1927. And then a bit later, Arthur Ford said that he had the actual code, even though he was using the tricks that clairvoyants use in a way, right? You'll Now it's right. even easier, right? You invite somebody into your uh, parlor of of tricks or whatever you call where uh, where clairvoyants live and i do believe it's called basement apartment okay and they will have looked you up online they'll claim not to have looked you up online but they'll have looked you up online because now we just proved this by googling ourselves you can actually find very good information about somebody online by just looking up their name angelo i i'm i'm sensing Someone wants me to talk to you with the first letter. Hold on a sec. S or T or my, my wife. My wife's name starts with a T. Oh, maybe she, maybe she's trying to talk to to you through me. Oh, maybe. So look, anyways, th- I'll, I'll have to say like this is a, a not a, a new tradition, right? The idea of of magicians and of sleight of hand and of tricks has existed for centuries and centuries, right? Yeah, and Houdini said something very similar to what other scientists have said later, like Carl Sagan. Where, you know, before you think of something as being out of this world, you just have to make sure it's not from here. It's not usually supernatural. It's actually never supernatural, uh, according to people like me. But uh, all in 2019, Brian thinks everything's supernatural. Everything is magic and nothing is uh, unfortunate. Yeah, the idea of Occam's razor, I think, is, is very prevalent here, right? Yeah, it's usually uh, everybody gets Occam's razor wrong, but it's something like usually the simplest explanation is the correct one. Although I probably just got it wrong as well, but it's it's along those lines, right? You're never looking for a more complicated solution to an answer. You're always looking for what's the simplest thing. You hear a noise outside. It was probably like leaves hitting your window and not an <laughs> alien trying to look into your house. So question for you, and this is the only research I've done myself on this topic, is I threw out a Twitter poll a little while ago asking, is the concept of reporting magic or illusions neckbeardy? And it's 57 to 43% yes, my friend. So unfortunately, you are neckbeard adjacent. I'm fine with that. It's still pretty cool. It's not, it's not as cool as the other magic stuff with the cards, the magic, the gathering thing. That's really Friday super night cool magic. People is forever and ever the best. And I know they've probably offended Sam from not alone, but whatever. Um, let us move on from Houdini. Uh, let's throw ourselves, hurl ourselves through time, right? We're going to land to sort of like more uh, uh, modern thinkers, modern men with sleight of hand and illusion tricks. Well, so James Randi, everybody knows who he is, foremost skeptic. And he, his claim to fame really arose with his appearances on Johnny Carson because I don't know if you know this, Johnny Carson was like an amateur magician. He loved magic, so he had a lot of magicians on his on his show, on The Tonight Show. And there was a very famous episode where Yuri Geller appeared. Now, do you know who Yuri Geller is? The Isn't he the spoon guy? He is the spoon guy. So what happened is that Yuri Geller showed up, and he was bending spoons for all kinds of people all over the place, and he shows up on Carson. And what Carson does, with the help of James Randi, because he knows this is a magic trick that's actually pretty simple to do. He says, you know what? Use our spoons tonight. If you can bend spoons, you can bend our just regular spoons. And uh, yeah, no, uh, Geller wasn't feeling it that night. He just couldn't. There was something wrong with his, uh, with his chi <laughs> I wonder or what whatever. It was. I wonder what it was. Yeah, it was because the spoons were not pre-bent, which is exactly how it works, right? You pre-bend the spoons, and then it's very easy for you to make them bend. And then... Should you be spilling these secrets on air here? 
for the spoon bending, no, that's a very well-known trick that uh, was exposed with good reason because uh, Yuri Geller was a fraud. It's funny, actually. Uh, I don't know how long ago this was. There was like some show called Phenomenon, and one of the judges was Yuri Geller, and another of the judges was Chris Angel. And there was a guy claiming uh, on the show claiming to be a clairvoyant, and Chris Angel was totally like not having any of it. And then Yuri Geller was totally with the guy, and Chris Angel brought up the whole Johnny Carson thing. So, uh, salt in the wound. Yep. Yep. So, a question for you: have, Given that we're revealing all the secrets here, have you seen the Breaking the Magician's Codes uh, specials, like the old Fox specials? My daughter has watched that over and over again. Uh, how fascinated is she by these and does she want to pull off any of these tricks she finds them really interesting uh, on how to do them that the thing with that show is that it was both bad and good in that yes it exposed a lot of tricks that ruined the careers of more uh, amateur magicians but those that were good at the craft came up with other things what happened in the late 90s was uh, david blaine had his first special and he changed everything he was like this Totally not over-the-top magician. In fact, he's like yeah. super aloof, right? He's just there. He's like, yeah, look, here, I'm going to make this crazy thing happen in front of you, and I'm going to pretend like it's not that cool. Well, I mean, his whole thing was like the idea of street magic, right? The idea that he could just go in on a black T-shirt and sort of like amaze a crowd. Whereas, and I, I was jokingly discussing how we want to talk about like sartorial choices, like like clothing choices for a lot of these um, uh, prime magicians because that was a big part of the act. Whereas like David Blaine, I feel like is a very big disruptor with that. And then he just came in as himself pulling off all these feats and just, you know, like his brand is not having a brand. Yeah. What he did is he basically did these tricks with nothing around them he'd even like be you know short sleeves like you said without like the jacket and all that very simple things with just his hands and you know i like the thing is i watch those those shows and i know exactly what he's doing i don't know how to do it well it's okay i know how to do it i can't do it right there's a lot a lot of skill and practice involved and and depending on the camera angles as well and the thing with his early specials i don't know if some of the reactions are staged or not uh, from what i understand from david blaine he's very uh, about the craft and not wanting to do that he's he's very genuine but you know how tv producers are right brian when you had your tv specials <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought we were going to talk about my past, but here we are anyways. Um, so, yeah, I do uh, understand what you're trying to convey is the idea that uh, there is an artificiality a lot to, you know, uh, reaction shots and things like that. But I do want to believe that David Blaine created genuine reactions out of people because um, a lot of his stuff, and I, I remember br briefly watching some of his specials, uh, were quite interesting. And the thing is that, like, yes, there can be camera trickery, but I do believe him to be uh, of an exceptional level of of mastery a lot of uh, of what he does i don't think uh, yeah i don't think for the most part there's any camera tricks or anything involved uh, that's why a lot of magicians both like and not really like uh, pen and teller fool us because it, you know you're judging magicians on something but the great thing about that is there's no camera cuts you can trust that pen and teller are not going to screw with that because they're they really want to push magic forward and that's they, they got in a lot of trouble right when they came out because they were uh, thought of as being exposers, right? They did the cup and balls trick without with clear cups, but you would watch that and see what they were doing and still not know what they did. I also think that a lot of people were mad because they approached uh, magic in a sort of uh, pseudo joking kind of way where I feel like everyone wanted to, uh, people to take it very seriously beforehand as, you know, an art form and a craft and a way to make a living, whereas they kind of came in and sort of set the tone in a different kind of way. 
Yeah, exactly. And their show's really fun to watch, actually. I've seen them in, in Vegas. They were great. No way. You saw them live? Yeah, Christmas. It was Christmas evening. Yeah, it was great. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of jealous. I'm going to have to tell my daughter because she's going to be super jealous you saw them live. Yeah, it was honestly the best thing I did in Vegas, and I hate Vegas. <laughs> what? Uh, that's the thing, too, is that they are very no BS kind of uh, approach to things, right? Like, they don't put up pageantry in a way that... That's the magic... I like is the non gimmicky ones and and we're kind of going off topic here but it is something to keep in mind is that a lot of the magicians now are uh you know no bs like you said they don't want to they don't want you to think that what they're doing is actual magic they want you to know you're being fooled by them it's not real but it looks like it is Right. And I think that like kind of is a good entry to talk about skepticism in general and how it relates to magicians and illusionists, right? Because like you were saying before, like the Yuri Gellers uh, of the world tend to want to believe in more of this mysticism versus uh, people who are arguably or not arguably better at these things, understanding that it's just smoke and mirrors, literal strings, puppets, etc. Yeah. And, and this is exactly, we're coming back to James Randi here, how he rose to prominence was debunking these people that claim to have special powers. There was a clip from a show in the 70s where there was a guy who claimed to be able to like do things with his mind and like his fists by punching the air and making things break. And uh, James Randi showed up, set things up in a different way. And guess what? His powers were gone. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. These, that's the thing that these magicians hate is that setting up magic tricks to make people believe that what they have are actual magical powers. That, that's where they take offense to this, and that's why they become skeptics and champions of debunking these people. So one of the more interesting things James Randi did to prove that scientists were easily duped is that he created something called Project Alpha. Yes. And it was like a long con. It, it's a hoax, basically, that started in 1979 and ended in 1983, where he planted two psychics, fake psychics, obviously, into a project for parapsychology, and this was at Washington University, to prove that people studying parapsychology were not studying it properly and were not prepared to be tricked by the people they were studying. Which is kind of really interesting because a lot of the time when you entered these kinds of studies... Uh, as a researcher, you kind of have a good idea, a good handle of, of who you're dealing with, but this is a complete turn to the tables here. These are the type of people that Yuri Geller fooled when he was being tested uh, at the Stanford Research Institute that they believed he had powers where he was just a magician. Well, the thing is, like, when you are setting up a study like this, you're not necessarily looking for people who are going to fool you, right? Like, you are no. acting on good faith, so therefore you assume that other people are, but this clearly wasn't the case. I mean, for the betterment of uh, the field of parapsychology, but yeah. It's something that magicians also dislike about this, in that they're kind of making them look bad by making people believe what they have is real, and they want to expose liars. These people are liars, right? They're lying about what they have being real. That, that's where the problem starts, and that's why they kind of get attacked by people. There's, you know, we can name dozens of magicians that are, are prominent skeptics. You know, there's like Jamie and Swiss and Banachek, who was actually part of this Project Alpha hoax. Uh, there was, uh, did you ever watch uh, the Joe Rogan uh, Questions Everything show? Uh, I saw the Aliens episode, that's it. Okay, he, well, he had one on on psychics and stuff and there were a couple of 
of one was a magician and one was a reformed psychic who said he used to do this <laughs> and then decided to expose these people because he had like a a crisis in his own head about how he was actually hurting people by doing what he was doing which is true yeah absolutely so i mean the moral of the story is uh if somebody's telling you they have magical powers they're lying or if someone's trying to tell you that they contact the dead uh probably lying to you yeah uh if someone is telling you that they uh receive their powers from the dead which some people will claim to right probably lying like so the ultimate question is like why why are magicians doing this right and they basically know you're being fooled and they don't want people to be hurt emotionally by this right it's 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 mostly that and swindled by con men like, I think there's a certain kind of integrity that uh, belongs to being someone who does magic or creates illusions that you want to maintain that level of of craftsmanship almost, right? Like you want people to understand that this is all on you. This is not, you know, the divine interfering with your mortal powers. I've been watching this show called The Road Trick on uh, Netflix. It's a magician who's, it's more like a travel show, but he's a magician and he's traveling Europe. And at one point there's a scene where he's seeing people do three card Monty. And stealing money from other tourists. And it gets him super upset. He's not going to go up to them because he saw, he's like, these are the people that are involved. It's not just the one guy. There's like four or five people involved and they're, they're, they're winning money. So then people start getting duped and their money gets stolen. And when he was going close, they saw he had a film crew with him and this giant man stepped towards him. And he's like, okay, well, we're not getting involved. But you saw he was visibly upset because they're using what he does to delight people, but in this case, they're stealing from people. Yeah, and it's very unfortunate that a lot of people get taken in because what they do is they appeal to someone's emotional nature in order to uh, uh, personally benefit, right? Exactly. And ultimately, magicians realize that no matter how amazing something looks, no matter what somebody does in front of you, they know there's a way to do it. Even if they're fooled by it, and that's like the whole premise of Penn and Teller Fool Us is, you know, can you fool these magicians that have been doing this for 45 years? And uh, in most cases, the answer is no. But in some cases, uh, they're completely uh, amazed by what they see. And they don't want to know what was done, right? They might spend time trying to figure it out. And uh, they usually, they draw sketches for people and stuff. But in some cases, they don't figure it out. And that's fine. But they realize, yeah, the person in front of us is not some sort of actual wizard, they've just done a trick that was even able to fool us. All in 2019, Brian says, they are all wizards. You know, performing uh, uh, tricks and, and magic and illusions and things like that is such a mastery of, of both time and space. I put it close to like playing a musical instrument, sort of, but all that more difficult. I think there's less people in the world that uh, do magic than play piano or guitar. So what you're telling me now is that, well, I mean, the barrier for entry is, is much tighter, right? It's, it's a, yeah. Well, somebody that, that plays a few instruments, like I, I don't, I'm not really amazing, but it's not super hard to do with a bit of practice, right? Whereas I'm having a lot, I've, I've, I've tried like doing sleight of hand for years and years and I've only gotten marginally okay, but I'm watching some people on YouTube and you know exactly what they're doing. You know exactly where to look, but you don't see it. Right, and you still, even watching it, don't necessarily understand the very minute particulars. Exactly. There's certain, there's certain, there's certain moves out there. Everybody has these moves, but they have put their own spin on it, and that's where the interesting things happen. 
but ultimately, if somebody's telling you they're actually doing magic, they're lying to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so two final questions, I guess, because you're more well-versed than I am in this. And so you, firstly, you've mentioned that you watch a lot more YouTube stuff now. So if you wanted to uh, tell our listeners like what they should check out uh, in terms of both uh, learning about magic and learning all about um, illusions and how people get fooled, what would you suggest? Well, right now, uh, I've, I've only really like latched onto a couple YouTube channels. One is, uh, is a hometown hero, uh, Chris Ramsey. He's actually from uh, Quebec and uh, excellent at card magic. Uh, he's not the uh, nerdy type you would normally think of as a magician. Just go check out his channel on YouTube. Really nicely done videos as well. And the other guy is uh, Xavier Spade uh, from New York. Also amazing. He has some really good tutorials on how to do slides of, on how to do sleight of hand. And really interesting, amazing tricks. You know exactly. He shows you. He tells you what he's doing, and you still can't see it. It isn't funny that now, like, you can kind of go onto YouTube and just get everything debunked for you? Or as I call it now, demon tube, you know, because I'm all in. <laughs> well, it is, I guess it's a bit frustrating, but you don't have to watch it. My second question, given that we are a tech and paranormal podcast, how do you feel like um, uh, the mitzi of magic or illusions um, has evolved with technology? Or has it at all? So a lot of the card slights and stuff like that is basically untouched since like the late 1800s there's a book that everybody refers to they call it Erdnaz, which which is it's who the author is but it's the expert at the card table i actually own a copy i haven't read through it all yet um really uh, a deep understanding of it was basically made for card slates and how to, how to actually cheat at cards and nobody knows who the actual author is it's not a real name and uh, there's a few assumptions as who, as who he was but it's still like a mystery which is kind of neat in and of itself but a lot of those slights remain the same. They've been adapted for the modern times, but it's still similar to what they did. What is cool is people doing tricks with tablets and cell phones and stuff. And I was watching uh, a magician on Penn and Teller Fool Us where he was doing amazing stuff with an iPad. And it was really incredible. I have no idea how he did that stuff. Like He must have uh, special apps on there and to do what he does because it's not things that you would normally be able to do with an iPad. Right. So that was kind of the answer I was looking for is both, you know, uh, time and memorial kind of stuff, like the basic sleight of hand stuff, but then the augmented ways in which we can use technology in order to be able to sort of uh, create these new spins on old classics. Yeah. And, and the thing is, what's kind of cool now is that more people can learn these things because it was actually hard to learn. Even for myself, in the 90s, it was hard to come by these books. I had to like, I couldn't find them here. I had to order them from uh, Amazon in uh, in another country at that point. And, uh, you know, you'd have to go to a magic shop. I actually got my first uh, trick deck of cards on my first visit to Disney World in 1991 when I was like 13. And that thing was mind-blowing what you could do with it. But I appreciate it more when you're doing it with any old deck of cards, right? When it's sleight of hand, it's kind of more cool. I, I was something called a stripper deck. And when I laugh whenever I think of that because it makes you think that it's like a deck with naked ladies on it, but it's not. It's a deck that's wider on one end than it is the other. So if somebody, you know, if you hand somebody a, a card, they, they pick it, you clo uh, slowly clo turn the deck in your hand and then they put it in and you know exactly what that card is all the time. So do you feel like uh, technology has ruined magic? No, I don't think so. 
uh, I think it's uh, it's democratized it actually more people have access to it right you don't have to go so, to some dusty old magic shop and learn it from one person uh, it was more interesting when there was like the whole apprentice master thing but you know not everybody's going to be good at this anyway so that's true, but I, I do feel like it's kind of, you know, uh, lost some of the sparkle uh, that used to sort of like permeate a little bit more, right? Because the, the proverbial curtain gets pulled back and suddenly it's very easy to see all these things. Yeah, what is frustrating is you'll see this amazing trick. Uh, for the most part, it's either on, on Fool Us or on uh, one of the America's Got Talent shows or whatever. And people will be online trying to tell you how that trick is done. And sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. But I try, you know, you don't have to go look at that, right? So I usually try not to. Uh, I'm trying to teach my daughter that the, the mass magician was not the best thing to uh, to do, but she still enjoys watching it. And I won't lie, I watched that when it was on. So I, I'm at fault here as well. Yeah, I think it's always kind of interesting to watch fields that have sort of existed. Um, uh, I hate to use this term, but like in the shadows a little bit more, kind of get like pulled to the light through technology, right? Yeah, but they have to adapt. Right, like uh, for sure, a for lot sure. Of the, I, I agree. A lot of the younger magicians who are doing this now for a living are doing this on YouTube. Yes, and they're doing it not necessarily exposing things either. They're giving tutorials, right? They're giving tutorials on sleight of hand. Everybody knows what people are there. They're doing sleight of hand. They're kind of just showing you how to do certain basic moves, but they're not exposing everything. No, exactly. And you know what? Guess what? If you want to know how tricks are done, you can actually buy them. There's magic sites online, but. They're not giving the stuff away for free. You still have to pay for it. Right. Uh, so if you don't want to spend the time, there is a barrier for entry there too. For sure. To get actual tools that are uh, gimmicks or things like that, where, you know, how to pull a rabbit out of a hat and things like that. Well, you have to actually buy things. You have to put time into that. I do feel like this is a good place to sort of uh, uh, put a pin on episode 108 of the Double Density Podcast. You kind of uh, ran me through the gamut in terms of, of magic illusions in ways that I hadn't necessarily considered or thought of before. So I found this really interesting. This is a bit different. Like we didn't really talk about any sort of paranormal specific things. It was more the opposite where we're talking about people debunking paranormal. For but, sure. Um, but I, I, think I do feel I get where your your worldview and your mindset comes from. I think it's very informed by this this base too, though. Oh yeah, and that's why, like like I've mentioned, the most interesting paranormal topic to me has always been UFOs because that's something that magicians don't really touch either, right? Like they're because that that's more of an unknown. Whereas you know what, I know psychics, I know clairvoyants, I know those yeah. people are complete frauds. UFOs or even Bigfoot things like that. Big feats, yeah. Yeah, uh, hauntings. Not that I think they're not that I think they're actual ghosts or whatever, but those are more interesting to me because there's not a person at the center of it trying to trick you, unless it's like a poltergeist. Then you know those. The it's always like kids that are trying to play jokes and starts getting fooled. <laughs> that well, look, always it's the messing en- with you. The Enfield poltergeist. Uh, you know, Randy showed up there and they they kicked him out basically because he was showing them that the kids were playing tricks. That's actually very true. I forgot about that. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, like the Conjuring Two is still a decent movie, right? Yeah, I guess they didn't. They should have shown Randy in there. There, <laughs> that's another plot thread that they didn't need uh, or have time to explore. Um, as always, Angelo, people can find us on various places on the internet, including Twitter. You can find us over at double underscore density. You can also find us on Instagram, Double Density Podcast, where I've been trying to post more. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been trying to up our Instagram game. Good job. And then also, you can head over to DoubleDensity.net, click on the contact button, fill out the form, let us know. You can also email us at DoubleDensityPodcast at gmail.com. And as always, you uh, you know, if you feel like it, subscribe, please. 
uh, use your favorite uh, podcast service in order to listen to us weekly every Wednesday. And if you like things, not luminary. Not luminary, correct. But uh, leave us a review, you know, on the uh, iTunes store or wherever you want to leave a review. Hey, if you want to leave a review on MySpace, by all means, Friendster, go ahead. Foursquare, please. You can also find us on Google. Yeah, yeah, go ahead and remember, guys. Google. Uh, we've given we've given you homework for this week. Go to Google and look up Double Density and click on the podcast link as the first one. Good idea, Brian. And with that, Angelo, this is it for episode 108 of the Double Density Podcast. Tune in next week as we ride the cosmos and trip the light. Fantastic. See you there, my friend. Yeah, I'm going to go pull a rabbit out of a hat. The Men's Health Book of Muscle. Just, just brief. I'm going to stop right now and I don't know where I'm going with this.